You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, everybody? It's Matt coming to you with another episode of the Live Different Podcast. This week with people from Live Your Legend, which is an amazing website, which you're going to get to hear all about in a second. But first, if you are into travel, you just got to go and check out Under 30 Experiences Trips on Sale page, as you might know. Our community is open to people ages 21 to 35, and we are looking to help make travel more accessible to young people. And we know one of the main challenges of traveling for people is making things priced accessibly. So we are doing our very best to put some trips on sale at some rock bottom prices. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in coming to Costa Rica this month, you should definitely jump on board. If you are interested in going to Europe this summer, I would highly recommend checking out that as well, under30experiences.com. And you can always send me a message on Instagram at TV. Would love for you to follow me, send me a message, engage with my stuff because I am trying to build the best community possible, both with under 30 experiences and here on the podcast. So any new trips you want, any new podcast guests you want, anything that I can do more of, anything that I can do less of, send me a message, let me know. I appreciate your support and sit back, relax for another great episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Chelsea Dinsmore. She is a traveler and chief of community happiness at Live Your Legend. She, according to Instagram, is a foodie, a globetrotter, a sunset chaser, an ocean enthusiast, and a bar devotee, which we can, of course, get into. But first, Chelsea, welcome. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I have to ask you right off the bat about BAR, B-A-R-R-E. It seems like it's something targeted much more at women. My girlfriend goes to Yoga Bar, and as I understand, they use BARs, B-A-Rs. Can you tell me what this thing is all about? Yeah, actually, I've been a part of the bar world for um, 10 years now. Um, It started about 15 years ago in the States. But yeah, so basically, it's a fusion. It's a fitness class. It's a fusion of yoga, Pilates, and ballet. So the name bar is actually the idea of a ballet bar. But really, the the modality of fitness is is a fusion of those three different modalities all in one. Got it. Well, Louis, my girlfriend, always comes back very sore from this one particular <laughs> class because it sounds like she's working out with some type of bar. Yeah, I, I guess I've seen enough of the, uh, I don't know, I've, I've, she's maybe demonstrated or something. And sometimes, yeah, it seems a lot more appealing than your CrossFit barbell workouts for women. Well, it's definitely, it's lower impact. Mm -hmm. It's a very small range of motion. You do things like, I mean, I think the reason it attracts more women is you do do things that feel very feminine. You're doing plies and releves and passes. But here in London, actually, we get a lot of, because there's a more professional dance scene in London. So there's actually a lot of men that come to class here in London, more so than San Francisco from my experience, at least. Okay. Well, Luz is a former ballerina and a yoga teacher and actually... I go to a different, in, in Costa Rica, we go to our, our teacher 
teaches both vinyasa yoga, which I go to all the time, and yoga bar. And they're like, oh, come to yoga bar. And for whatever reason, I just think of doing little uh, little booty bumps as the only way I can just decide to describe it. I apologize for that. But I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe I'll just go to Mucho Musculo, our local gym. So anyway, not to get off too much well, on the tangent. I'm obviously a devotee and an advocate, but I can guarantee you that you will experience muscles that you never knew you had before. Right, so I've heard. I've men come take the class and they're like, oh my God, I was sore in places I didn't know that I even had muscles. So yes. I would encourage you to give it a shot. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so you're in London. Yeah, tell me, tell me how you got to London, and I don't, and please don't say that you flew. <laughs> well, oh gosh, how do you get anywhere? Long journeys, right? Right. I was, yes. Yeah, so I was, I was on, I was kind of a nomad for a while there, traveling around for a few years with no real place to call home. And then I wound up back in San Francisco after a break there for, you know, two, three years. And, you know, it just, it wasn't the right place for me. And then a couple of different interesting pieces of the puzzle came together. I started a new relationship and he happens to live in London. At the same time, I was also just receiving my Irish citizenship, which was super cool because it's an opportunity to live somewhere outside the U.S., which I had never really permanently done. I've lived short stints in other places around the world. So yeah, San Francisco not being, you know, a right fit at the time, combined with love, combined with legality <laughs> to live in another country, all three factors combined uh, allowed me to be sitting here today from my little flat in London. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So I can relate personally about feeling like a big city in the United States was not the place for me. I took off in, I think, 2012 from New York, living in lower Manhattan, saying, This is, I've got this wrong. I need to get out of here. But tell me about your experience in San Francisco, because I'm sure our listeners may might, might feel the same way about wherever they are, are in life. And it doesn't have to be because it's New York or San Francisco, if you see what I'm saying. You can be anywhere and say, well, maybe I'm not in the right place in life. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, and especially I feel like I notice this a bit more in America versus other places that I've been. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think the question that, you know, it seems like you and your listeners ask themselves a lot, though, is what's right for me? Not like, not what is just right because everyone around me is doing it, but what's right for me? And, you know, I found myself in a place and, you know, San Francisco has a little bit of an interesting geographic situation to it because it's small, only a certain amount of people can go there. And sure. so a lot of people, when they get married and start families, a lot of people leave the city. And unlike London, it's not very easily accessible to get around public transport and things. So I just found myself, you know, in my early 30s, not married, not having kids, not starting that life. And I just felt really isolated from all of my friends that were doing that. And once again, it's not that one is right or one is wrong. It's just a matter of I found myself living in a really expensive place and never seeing the people that I loved there anymore. And the, the joy and the beauty of running an online business is that you really can, you know, you can do it from other places. So I just sort of found myself questioning, you know, why I was there, what I was doing there. And um, I have to say in London, I feel that 
I know so many people that are, you know, my age that are living all kinds of different lives. Some choose to be together, but unmarried. Some are married, but don't have kids. And I just think a big city like this allows you to see a lot of different ways of life versus just one. So it's been a real, uh, a real joy for me to feel like, you know, there's not, you know, I'm not the black sheep if I'm not doing things one specific way. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can I can see it's funny in San Francisco. I haven't spent a lot of time there, but it's such a liberal city, yet if you're not working in tech, you're probably a, and and also it's it's very skewed male uh, as I understand as well or I have you know I have a, one of my very close friends works uh, at Wells Fargo and he trades bonds for a living and he often feels that all right, well, even though I'm a uh, dude working in finance, I can't go to a bar and have a conversation that's not about the next unicorn tech startup. And that can that can wear on a person, I think. And, and also, I want to say one of my big frustrations with New York was exactly what you said about having a lot of friends in the city, but never seeing them because our lives were so different or they lived uptown and I lived downtown and neither wanted to meet in midtown. So yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco was truly the perfect place for me, you know, from like 25 to 30. But that's where, you know, sometimes we make, I I believe in having aligned, like alignment over commitment consistency. Like, yes, I chose to live there and it was the right thing at 25, but I found myself at 35 and it just wasn't the right thing. So I have to realign, you know, based off of that. So it's nothing bagging on the city, particularly. It was just the stage and who I was at the life um, and, you know, at the moment in my life. And a a move was a good move for me. So great, great. Now, I want to make it clear that, yeah, we're not ragging on New York or San Francisco because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who are very loyal to those cities. But it's about having really, if you can have the flexibility to move to where you want to be at that point in your life, go to the place that suits you at that point. uh, That's great. So cool. Kelsey, tell us a little bit more about what you all do over there at Live Your Legend. Yeah. So um, Live Your Legend is a community that really the focus is to live your life with more meaning and purpose. And we have a lot of things centered around finding that in your career, because once again, the birth of Live Your Legend, really, that's what the big kind of thing in our lives at the time was our career and figuring out our career. And it's blossomed, it's evolved into more um, life transitions. And like I said, kind of finding alignment in your life with where you are and who you are, no matter what's going on around you. So it's really, it's about living life with more meaning and purpose um, and finding meaning in your moments and um, just having tools, tips, tricks, and education to create that. Okay, great. So you have a a fantastic blog, of course, with lots of free resources and then uh, courses. I know we were just talking earlier, 21 Days to Discover Your Passion, How to Live Off Your Passion, How to Connect with Anyone, Make Your First 1K, Your Free Self-Discovery Challenge. And actually, let me ask you this. What's your passion, Chelsea? Oh, well, this is very interesting because I, as much as some of the branding at Liver Legend is about passion, and that's a lot due to because that was the word that really resonated with the founder of Liver Legend, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the word passion. I have to be honest with you. 
I believe that everyone has interests, everyone has skills, talents, strengths. And when we're in alignment with those things, that's where we feel that feeling of being totally in flow and, you know, alive and that lightness and that excitement. So I believe that we all have something within us that we don't need to seek, discover, or find, you know, it's already there. Sometimes it needs to be unveiled or unroadblocked. <laughs> but at the same time, this day and age, I think passion has become such a trendy word that it's actually putting a lot of pressure on people. You know, if you sit there and be like, what's my life's passion? That is a big freaking question versus what life is about right now without attaching that sense of like life purpose and life meaning to it. So I found this really interesting kind of um, navigation of, I love to live my life with aliveness and passion, but I also give myself the permission that, you know, if I don't always know that, or if it's navigating or changing, then that's okay. And that's a lot of the things that I do with people because so many people think that they're going to find their passion and then their life's going to be solved. And that's not the only piece of the puzzle. It's one piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only piece. So me personally, the things that I absolutely love to do, I could spend all day doing you know, never getting paid for our teaching bar. I absolutely love that. I do it on the side simply because I love it. It doesn't fill up my bank account tremendously, but it fills up my personal account. Excellent. At an exponential level. So absolutely love teaching bar. I also love to cook. I, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm an ocean, ocean enthusiast. So I'm constantly seeking out new surf destinations, trying to get better at surfing, learning about waves. On the days that the waves are too big for me, I'll hop on a boogie board. So these are all the things that, you know, I could for hours on end and absolutely adore. Cool. That's really helpful for people to hear about passion because I've spent a lot of years harping on helping people find their passion. I I co-founded a website called Under 30 CEO back in 2008. And a lot of that was to help young people, all right, go out and start a business, but something that really excites you. Um, I think think I've heard Tony Robbins say that people say they want happiness, but really what they're craving is excitement in their life. And it doesn't have to be your, you know, people think that they're just going to sit cross-legged and a beam of light is going to come from the heavens and say, here's what you're passionate about. Here's your life's purpose. uh, And this is what you need to go after. But I think most people who I speak to about this are passionate about many things and want to spend their time doing something exciting. But after a while, that's going to shift, I would say. You might feel that you have a more sense of mission, and I think that's important, but you can have, I think you can have several missions during your lifetime. What do you think, Chelsea? Yeah. Well, Elizabeth Gilbert, if you haven't heard this talk, please run and go find it. It's a talk she did for, I think, Oprah Super Soul Sunday. And she talks about, and I really believe this, that there are two types of people in this world. There's the butterflies and the jackhammers. And we all know a jackhammer. We know the person that was like Elizabeth Gilbert, for example. She's the person who, from the time she was young, she knew she was going to be a writer. She went through rejection after rejection after rejection before she was ever you know, seemingly successful at it. And that was her passion. She had one motive in this lifetime and she will continue. And she still does. She became a successful writer and she still writes. Whereas then there's other people. And I truly think I'm one of them is I like to dip, you know, I had a food blog 
a few years ago and I really enjoyed the food blog, but then I got into the fitness stuff and now I'm more into the mindfulness stuff. Whereas I fly around and I, you know, she talks about pollinating like little flowers. So it's really important to know and to honor your nature. I think because there are people in this world that are driven in one way by one thing and they will do it their whole lives. And then there's other people who kind of like to pollinate different flowers. And I think for the people that are more the butterflies, it's really important kind of exactly what we were talking about in the beginning to not just be consistent, commitment, consistency. As you evolve, things in your life evolve, your wants, your desires, your needs, they all evolve. Like I had a, for a few years ago, one of my top values was freedom. And one of my top values now is more stability and structure. And so when freedom was my top value, yeah, I was nomadic. I was traveling around the world all by myself and, you know, never, I had no permanent address, but then my values shifted. I don't know what caused it. Something did in me where I was seeking something new. And if I would have tried to live in that lifestyle that I was just living I would be so burnt out right now. I'd be running myself then. I'd be living a life I didn't actually want now because I wanted it a few years ago. And so that's where I think that you really have to, I think as our wants, our needs, our desires, our external world evolves. So yeah, I think you're spot on with what you said there. Well, that's great. And I think you said it, not me, but uh, I I wrote down that your passions can shift with your values, which I think is... Is very interesting. In fact, we might just have to put it uh, as part of the title of the episode. And for anybody listening, I'm going to link up on under30experiences.com slash blog in the show notes, this TED Talk with Elizabeth Gilbert. And for anybody who doesn't know her, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. So you mentioned mindfulness, Chelsea, and to get a little deeper in the conversation, one thing that came to mind, not to use that word too many times in the (laughs) sentence, but it came, one thought that I had was that potentially, you know, I have an awareness practice. So when I sit in meditation or not in meditation, but I'm walking or riding my bike or uh, just sitting in a chair listening to somebody, you know, I try to do things like, well, pay, pay more attention, pay attention to the person who is listening to me, try to calm a little bit of the chatter that's going in my mind. Often I like to sit up a little bit more straight than I, I just caught myself currently doing. But one of the things that I've really noticed is that as you pay more attention, your awareness becomes heightened and that you then are more excited, I guess, or possibly you could even say passionate about the current moment and the thing that you're doing. So stay with me for a second, Chelsea. I just want to explain to everybody, you know, one of the great things about travel is that you go somewhere and it's foreign, and your mind opens up, and it's new sights and sounds and tastes and smells and all of all of this, you can't not be pulled into the moment because it's something novel to you, right? And But you're also paying a lot more attention because you don't know what's going around. You're looking around, this is really cool, or, or you're in Costa Rica and seeing this amazing sunset and you become a lot more mindful, if you will, about what's going on at the time, at that present moment. I'm curious if you find that 
your passions shift with what you're doing at the moment and if mindfulness has helped you with that because we're talking about the stages of life and how they can shift and what you're currently doing probably seems really interesting, especially if you are practicing mindfulness and being sucked into that current moment. Would you agree with that, Chelsea? Absolutely. And I mean, one of the the big things that we talk about at Live Your Legend is becoming your own self-expert. And this is the, I think, the power of, you know, what you're talking about, awareness or mindfulness is, is to understand, like I said earlier about knowing knowing the way you tick or, you know, knowing your nature, it is so important to understand these things about ourselves so that we can start to design our lives in the way that's actually going to fulfill that. So just for a contextual example, one of the things that I do is I do a lot of calendar planning in the sense that I really, I look at my calendar every week. I do this weekly planning process and it's got all these, you know, productivity things to it. But really it's also because I know myself well enough that when I look at three factors in my life and if they're not balanced, I'm not going to be balanced. So I look at my calendar and I look at, I make sure that I have something that I'm consuming, intaking, you know, information, knowledge. I get inspiration to output via input, right? So then I've got my creation and that's my writing and my, you know, business building and all of that stuff. But if either of those two are overtaking any level of connection that I have with a human being, if any one of those three things, if I'm only intaking information, I'm not filling it in balance because I'm not creating anything. And I like to create and to consume. And if I'm working too hard that I'm never seeing my loved ones, I'm also going to be out of balance. So this is where I think this idea of mindfulness, knowing yourself, and it goes exactly to what you said, because reading a book that you love, it might really fill you up and feel great. But if it's out of balance with the whole overall picture, it's actually not going to be the right thing for you in that moment. So even if it is a passion, it's not going to be right in that moment because you haven't looked at the overall balance of your life. So I really do think that a sense of awareness, and when we find that awareness, it allows for a sense of inquiry. Is, and that's the best thing about it is because you say, you know, interesting, I wasn't lonely when I was by myself yesterday, but now I'm surrounded by people and I feel really lonely. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think that it's, it's the pathway almost to self-inquiry and self-understanding. And then when you have a deeper level of that, yeah, you get to design your life in the way that you know is going to suit you. So you do start to live a more passionate life because you understand yourself so much better and how to fuel those areas of your life. Okay, very well said. And Chelsea, I wanted to ask about that freedom that clearly you and I both have, but that allows, we'll take you for example, to be able to have that structure. Those three things really are able to work for you because then you can say, oh, I should be spending a little bit more time doing this. I should be spending more time doing this. Oh, I'm, I'm working too much. Let me shift my, clear my schedule for the rest of the day and let me go hiking with a loved one, for example. But so many people do not have that luxury, unfortunately. And so can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, because sometimes I feel like I really come from a place of privilege and, and granted, I've worked very hard to be able to create this in my life, but so many of our listeners right now 
actually, they really like their jobs, yet they don't have the freedom to say, yeah, you know, where I am in the world is not working out for me. Let me, let me go over to London or let me uh, take advantage of my Irish grandfather and go and get my Irish citizenship. I don't mean take advantage of your grandfather, but you know, take advantage of the fact that maybe he was Irish as, as people could look into the visa, visa process. How do you feel about that, Chelsea? Absolutely. And this is where all of this, we have, like, the thing I say to people all the time is you have to be where you are. You have to be where you are and not where you're not. Eight years ago, the thing that I was doing to fuel where I was at that point, I wasn't working a job I loved. I was trying to build up my experience as a yoga teacher, but in order to pay my bills, I had to go to a job that I didn't like you know, half time every single day, eight, four days or five days a week. But there were still things, and this is where we talk about at Live Your Legend, is don't compare your step one to somebody else's step 16, because then you're just going to feel like shit, right? Sure. Like Just like you said, you've worked, you've worked for many, many years. You put in a lot of hours to be exactly where you are today, as have I. But it didn't mean that eight years ago, I didn't know the things that were within me that were available to me at that moment that could still make me feel alive. Like I remember when I would be feeling down at my job, I would turn on my number one jam because music makes me feel alive. Like my soul speaks to music. So yeah, at that time I couldn't get out of my job, but I could do something that was going to help me feel a little bit better with about where I was, or I'm super connected to nature. So every day I could walk home from work, even if it's cold in San Francisco, I would walk home from work, you know, because I just enjoy being outside, smelling the fresh air. So yeah, once again, you have to be where you are and no, you, not everybody listening is going to be able to jump on a plane and move, you know, to the UK tomorrow. That's very unrealistic. But what we do have is the ability to create meaning in our moments. Every single one of us has that availability. And I think a big problem is so many people know what they don't want. So many people know what they don't like. So many people know what they can't do, but very few people feel the energy to look at what they can do, even in the midst of what they can't or what they do have, even in the midst of what they don't. Very few people shift that focus. But when you do, that's when your power really starts to come to you because there's lots of stuff that we can't do. But there are a few things. You can do one thing every day that makes you feel good. Everybody has that power. And the more you start to do that, if you find time to do one, I promise you, you'll find time to do two and then three and then four. So that's where it really starts for me. Okay. So let, let, let's dig in there a little bit more. So you're in San Francisco and we can again use you as an example, or we could just go hypothetical, but say a person is living in San Francisco and they're not loving their job, but they're trying to get their thing started on the side. And it doesn't have to be, by the way, the thing, their, their most glorious business, that's their lifelong passion, because most people just don't feel that way. The golden ticket. Exactly. The, <laughs> gold, the golden ticket might not be the golden ticket, but it's maybe what step one through 16. It's somewhere along that path. So they start doing a couple things that excite them every day. And then what? Because, well, you have a course make your first 1K, and it doesn't always have to be about money. And in fact, I believe that you even have one of your values on your website listed as we don't do things for money, but 
we all know that you need money to play the game usually. So you want to buy a, a flight to London, you got to have some money in the bank or uh, some good credit card rewards ending up in your mailbox and cashing in on those miles. So what's the next step for people after they start doing a few things that light them up every day? Well, I mean, if there's a lot, but I think, I think that it's really important not to get too far ahead of ourselves, number one. And the more that we can focus on our feelings, I think the better off we are. Because if you love doing something, you know, say I love painting, but I'm not making any money as a painter. In a realistic world, I never feel like I'm wasting time when I'm painting because I actually love to do it. I love the process, right? I mean, one of my favorite quotes is from Abraham Hicks, and he says, um, a happy ending doesn't come from an unhappy journey. Where I see so many people in this world, they're focusing on their happy ending, but they're using a really miserable journey to get there. So what we talk a lot about at Live Your Legend is... Focus on the things that you do enjoy to do, you know, say gardening. Let's use gardening as an example. You love to garden. And, you know, if you really love to do it, offer to help your neighbor, offer to help, you know, the people down the street, offer to help your business, plant a garden, whatever it may be, you know, your corporation, whatever. If you really love to do it, it shouldn't feel like too much work. But the moment that you add value to other people's lives, that is the moment they're willing to pay you. And I find so many people, they put the emphasis on the money and how they're going to make the money, but they don't even think about the value add. Whereas if you start to think about how you can actually add value to other people's life, I mean, think of the people we pay. Um, When I, I, I cook almost every single night, I love to cook, but I am so happy to spend money to go to a restaurant to have somebody else cook for me. It feels like such a luxury and a treat. I can clean my house. I am so happy to pay somebody to clean my house, let me tell you. I really am. I have the ability to do so, but I am so happy to pay somebody else to do it. So we're all happy to pay people for the things that really add value to our lives. So my advice to people always, always, always is to align the things that you love to do with a way that adds values to others. And that's the bread and the butter right there. And then, of course, as you know, as an entrepreneur, the hardest thing, and this is why passion alone is not enough, you still have to sell. (laughs) Nobody, hardly anybody, mints money. Anybody trying to make a business for themselves, they have to somehow get customers through the door. And that requires oftentimes you getting outside of your passions and your skill set and putting yourself up and selling. So just because you found a passion and you start doing it, it doesn't mean you're having money walk through the door. There's still going to be things that you have to do that, you know, at some point maybe you outsource or whatever, but these are still real, real requirements in making money. So that's all. A lot of the things I I talk to people about are number one, focus on your value add. And then number two, what are you doing to actually get people to do it? Because so many people say, I'm not making any money. And what are you selling? Nothing. You need to actually have somebody, a way for somebody to pay you in order for you to make money. Yes. And if the thing that you are selling is so valuable that it sells itself, then, all right, then you found something that's that's your validation for how valuable it is. I guess that's a good way to put it. If you're trying to sell something and it doesn't sell well, you might want to think, oh, wait a second, maybe this doesn't provide as much value to somebody as I think, or maybe I'm not presenting it in, in the right way, of course. But I can use uh, the example of our trips at Under 30 Experiences. 
We technically have a sales department, but it's really the answer questions and process sales department uh, because the trips sell themselves. You know, we always say, okay, Iceland, what, what, you don't have to give somebody the hard sell on going to Iceland. Either you want to go there or you, or, or you don't. It's just that easy. And so, yeah, the places are amazing. So I wanted to ask you actually, Chelsea, a little bit more about sales because not everybody does have that product that sells itself. And a lot of people have a lot of value. And I, I don't mean to sound that, oh, I have this product that sells itself. Look how cool I am. I don't have to put any effort into it. Because a lot of people out there provide something, you know, help people in health and wellness, especially who have a lot of value, yet people just don't pay for that for some reason. We all know millennials pay for experiences, and so that's easy. But health and wellness professional, for example, who has more integrative knowledge than your physician who studied medicine, yet people might not want to pay for you or be skeptical or or, or your product takes education to sell, what are some of the things that you would suggest to people to start learning? Because I wanted to point out, you have a how to connect with anyone, and that might be a very good first step in selling. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it is a tough world out there, and I will not by any stretch of the imagination begin to claim that I'm some sort of sales expert. I am not at all. Um, I probably could have some sort of sales coach come in and hack me to pieces <laughs> based on my methods. But I think that it has to feel off that like you have, our bullshit radars as human beings are so high. We literally smell inauthenticity from a thousand miles away. So I think, and it also, once again, like I mentioned Tony Robbins earlier, like Adore the man, adore what he talks about. Don't particularly love his sales tactics. So that's just me personally. So when I, I love his content, I love what he talks about, but I like how he sells. So I think you have to look to the people that you really want to buy from. Who are you willing? Like Mark Manson, for example, love him. He's another personal development blogger. I literally signed up for his membership program because I was just like, Everything you put out has added so much value to my life. I'm literally willing to just pay you as a thank you. So you need to look, I, my advice would be to look at the people that you're willing to pay and how do they sell to you? Because that's normally your selling tactic. And that's probably the way that you can authentically sell. And then once again, getting back to very basics, you have to believe in what you're selling. You have to believe in it. Like, I mean, I hear so many people and there's nothing against coaches or wanting to be a coach, but this kind of sums up everything we've talked about. I have so many people say, I want to be a coach. I say, okay, well, what are you going to coach people on? You know, value add, like how are you going to add value? Well, I don't really know. And so if you don't know how you're going to add value to your life, how are you possibly going to sell yourself? Sure. Um, and that's the other problem, I think, a lot of people. And it's it's such an honorable thing, too. You know, you know you're helping people. You get to live a, a life where you're helping people. It's dedicated to that, all that stuff. But once again, let's be where we are because there's going to be a point where you have to sell your services. And if you can't authentically sell your services, you're not going to make any money. I believe in the courses that we've created at Live Your Legend. I use them. I continue to revert back to them. I talk about the principles all the time. So it doesn't feel like selling when somebody asks me about the content of 21 Days to Discover Your Passion. I'll sit here and talk about it 
all day long because I wrote it and I created it and I lived it. So I think that that's really a big thing is look at who you don't like, <laughs> how they sell and don't do that. And then look at who you do. You know, what, what is it about them that draws you to them? Note that. And then obviously very core fundamental is believe in whatever it is that you're selling. Sure. And I wanted to point out to people that Chelsea, you seem to be very good at what you do. So it's easy to be authentic if you are not an imposter, right? You, it's very easy to get up in front of a crowd and speak if you're speaking from the heart and you're saying, all right, well, I know I'm good. So I don't really have to sell it too hard because the value that you bring does deliver. So yeah, thank you for, thank you for doing that. Well, I thank you for saying that. But I also think too, I, I live by the belief that all I can do is share my experience. That's all I can do. I can share my experience of navigating career transitions, understanding values, navigating massive life transitions. I can share my experience. If it adds value to certain people, awesome. It's not, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and I don't expect to be, but if it helps one person, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing, and trust me, I feel like, I mean, I feel the imposter syndrome. I feel self-doubt a lot of the time, but I can share my experience, my lessons learned, my, I wish I would have known before I went through this. I can share those things. And if it adds value to one person, it's worth it to me. I mean, the number of blog posts that I've almost not published because I'm like, who wants to hear this? Like, who wants to listen to me? But then I do, and those are usually the ones where somebody's like, oh my God, I never thought about X this way before. And I'm like, wow, that is why you put yourself out there. And it's almost like, it's not necessarily because I know that I'm gonna, the outcome isn't to help people. If I help people, that's awesome. But the outcome is to truly share my experience. That's all I can do. And if it resonates, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's great, Chelsea. And I'll be vulnerable with the listeners for a second and say, one of the things that for years was very difficult for me and still is, is to share on my personal Facebook what I'm actually doing, what I'm actually thinking, what I'm actually writing, because the context in how I know those people are very often from high school or from college or from New York and not necessarily the people who I consider my audience right now. And that was difficult for me to think, oh, geez, uh, you know, a lot of the people are stuck at their desks. Maybe they don't want to hear, you know, maybe they don't want to hear this right now. But you said something that I, I think often about it might just help one person. You know, there might be one person out there that I did go to high school with who this message is going to resonate with. So I'm, I'm curious for people who are afraid to put their work out there. And, you know, sure, it's, it's one thing to publish on your blog because those are your blog readers, but then to put it on your personal Facebook or to email it to your family, for example, that's an entire different ball game. And your six cousins might think, oh, geez, what is this lunatic up to again? But your one cousin might, act, and might actually have really helped that one cousin. So what would you tell those people who, who that's very difficult for? Well, um, I mean, this is a much deeper topic about the idea of internal versus external validation. Okay. And um, 
Yeah. We live in a world today where we are groomed by external validation. You know, it's instant gratification. You put something up on Instagram and you get 300 likes. Whereas we used to live in a world to have ever, I mean, you might not hear 300 praises in your lifetime. And now we get it in a minute. We get it in a second. We've grown up, especially the millennial culture, in this world of external validation. We validate ourselves based upon what others think of us. And this is where I think it is so important to step back and do the things. And I talk, I touch very briefly about like the idea of feelings. You can you can create a feeling of pride self with nobody telling you or seeing anything. Like writing something down or drawing or whatever it may be, it elicits part of the things these are our passions is because it elicits a feeling of pride. We're proud of ourselves for doing it. And so I think that I live by a mantra that I don't believe my responsibility on this planet is to even help people. But I do believe that I might be a catalyst to sow seeds. I may never see the the birth of that plant, even in my lifetime. I may never see it. But I do believe that it is my purpose here, or I feel deeply connected to, like I said, sharing my experience. If nobody listens, if nobody comments, if nobody you know, ever reads anything that I write, I don't have any children and I don't know if I ever will, but what if one day I did and my great granddaughter read something that auntie Chelsea wrote, like, or, you know, great grandma Chelsea or my nieces, I do have nieces. And I think about that all the time. Like, wow, you know, my kid, my niece's kids might know the story of my life. They might not. It's not why I'm doing it, but There's something to be said for doing what you love with detachment from the outcome. And when I think when we start to do that, that's where you really do what you love from that internal place versus from the place of external validation. And I can guarantee you, because I have been caught in this hamster wheel myself, that it is a very unfulfilling wheel to try to please others all the time. It's never going, it's never going to keep turning ever, 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 ever. So the more you can start to do what you do, because It fills you up and brings you a sense of fulfillment. And alongside that, ideally, can possibly add value to others. You're living that life of ease and that peace and that freedom. And it doesn't feel like much effort all the time. And that is the feeling that I like to pursue in my life. Beautiful, Chelsea. And yeah, it's just (laughs) so much about that, that hamster wheel, that superficial hit of dopamine where you got a bunch of likes really quickly. You have you have you ever felt where it well it really depends on how quickly you get those likes too. How how fast is that rush of dopamine? And then my analytical brain goes to, ooh, that's gonna get the attention of the Facebook slash Instagram algorithm and that's gonna put it into a lot more people's news feeds and look at me how cool I am. And that just contributes to this highlight reel of honestly, not so, uh, the posts can be authentic, but it's not your authentic life, right? When something bad happens, right? Uh, for that, something that you perceive as bad, like I had a shitty time over break for part of it because my dad said, did I post about that? No. Did I want pity from my friends or a lot of the sad face emojis? You know what I mean? It's like, it's 
Yeah, there's a certain amount of validation that we get from external sources that is just it's just the way these things are designed to keep us addicted, to keep us to keep mm-hmm. us coming back for another hit of dopamine. That's besides the point, Chelsea. I wanted to uh, yeah, I I wanted to say that or ask you if writing really fulfills you even if there was no if there was no audience, would you still write because you enjoy the process or enjoy, maybe you don't enjoy writing, but do you enjoy the feeling of completing something and facing those demons, maybe as Stephen Pressfield would call it, from the war of art? Um, well, and that's where once again, you know, three years ago, I never would have said I was a writer at all. But what I found was, you know, I'd always journaled. I have my little journal next to me here. Like I have things that I write down. I, I love writing down, you know, when something elicits a feeling that I love when I'm outside and I feel like awe and wonder, I like to note it down because then once this gets so circles exactly back to what I was saying about me sitting at that office job in San Francisco, it was, I started to create a list of things that I knew made me feel amazing. So anytime I didn't feel so amazing, I could turn on that jam and just like, you know, whatever. So I do think that writing is powerful because it helps get your thoughts out of your head and into the world. Otherwise they truly, they just sit in there and swirl around. But no, I never would have called myself a writer. But I think that what I found was during a very trying time in my life, I was able to distill complex situations and simplify them. So it did. I I achieved something out of it because it took things that didn't really make a lot of sense in my head and writing through them allowed me to just sort of orient and navigate what was going on. And um, once again, I think context is powerful. So one time when I got upset with somebody, I went to the coffee shop and I said, why am I upset? I actually wrote it down. I said, why am I upset about this? Because so often, so many people would just respond and react to that and be like, of course I'm upset. You know, you didn't call or you didn't whatever, like whatever, right? You have every right to be upset. But I was curious about it. Why am I upset? And I started writing it down. And then what I realized was I was projecting my a current belief that I had upon somebody else. How unfair is that? Like, I actually, through the writing process, realized that I was the one being the asshole, not them. But if I would have just let those thoughts sit in my head and I would have just let them stew and react without any mindfulness behind it, it could have been turned into a huge fight. So writing for me, I think it does. It helps distill complex situations. But that being said, I cannot tell you it's always enjoyable. Give me a break. Like, I've been working on a book proposal for two years and this thing has nearly freaking broken me like a million times. So it's not that every time I can't call it a passion. Every time I sit down to do it, hell no, I don't want to do it. But the aftermath is oftentimes a result that I do want to feel. And this is the power of learning (laughs) is you have to build up confidence And you have to build up competence in things. The first time you ever ride a bike, it probably doesn't feel that good unless it's a natural skill of yours. You have to learn how to do it. And the good feelings sometimes come from building that that time period of building the confidence and the competence. I mean, I couldn't have hopped on an interview like this three years ago and felt confident. And now I, I don't think twice about it, but it's because I've done it enough times that I know in the aftermath, I always feel so thankful that I did it. But that only came from doing it. 
not from thinking about doing it or not doing it. <laughs> so I'm going for the writing. You say aftermath, Chelsea, like you've been, uh, like we're going through a war here. This is, you make the podcast sound like such a terrible experience. <laughs> no, but you know that feeling you get. Like I remember I had these masterminds, I have these masterminds that I run at Live Your Legend. And I, before the mastermind call, I would always like, when I first launched, I would hop on and I would just have that imposter syndrome, that self-doubt. What am I doing? What am I going to add? I don't want to do this. And I'm not joking to you. My boyfriend was such a good reflection for me because I would sit with him in the kitchen before and I'd be like, I don't want to get on this call. You know, this is a year ago now. But then afterwards, I would come out and I would literally be like electric, like a bee buzzing because it just gave me so much. But it was just my mind's fear and doubt that I didn't have you know, that I was afraid that I didn't have something to offer or whatever. But afterwards, the reaffirmation that, yes, this does make you feel good. And we need to go through that process. Sometimes we realize the things we thought we were going to like, we don't. And sometimes the things that don't come as naturally to us, it just takes habit building to get them to a place where they do feel good. So Chelsea, how did you get over self-doubt? Gotta face it. (laughs) You, you, any, if you run from something, you're never going to face it, right? So, and this is the other thing too, in my sense of mindfulness that I talk a lot about, it's not necessarily about sitting there and not thinking. It's about managing your thoughts in a better way. So the way I like to think about things is we have emotions that are natural. Fear is a natural emotion. I'm not going to stop trying to not feel fear when I do new and different things. I'm not going to stop trying to feel self-doubt and have a false sense of confidence. But by behavior, in response to those emotions, I now have practices in place that are a lot more mindful. I can watch fear show up. Just like you said, I have an awareness of fear showing up. And my old reaction way, you know, 10, 15 years ago might've been to buckle into that fear. Now I have pools at hand where I can reframe it. I can change my language about it. I can shift my focus like I was talking about earlier. So it's not that I'm trying to stop self-doubt from coming up because I think it's going to come up still. It's just, what do I do with that self-doubt? Do I let it stop me or do I let it be a reminder? Oh, I felt this one before. And what happened? Oh yeah, that was a really cool experience. Okay, let's go for it. Great. Chelsea, do you mind elaborating on your practices? Because you've, I think you've even said twice now about you being in a situation and having to be more mindful and saying, oh my God, I'm just projecting uh, my own insecurities or fears upon another person or, oh my God, what this situation that I'm in is, is just a reflection. Uh, so do you have some things that people yeah. can do at home? I mean, I've got a lot up my sleeve, but um, this is what I, I talk so much about this at Live Your Legend. And it's really the most simplistic way I can probably put it is that we have facts in our lives and we have feelings. And the space between those two is a thought. Our thought is something that we have the ability to change. We can't necessarily change the facts in our lives. I got laid off my job. For some people getting laid off their job, it elicits a feeling of excitement, new opportunity, blah, 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 blah. For other people, it elicits a feeling of overwhelm, blah, 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 blah. The only difference between those two, the fact is the same. The only difference between those two is the thought in between. So there's a lot of ways that you can learn how to better manage your thoughts, learn how to understand your thoughts, choose which thoughts to participate in, which not to. But that's a lot of, I mean, and this is where I talk about mindfulness. So some of it is, um, I think one of the simple things is 
changing statements into questions. And I gave a WDS talk. I can share the link with you if you want to share it in the show notes, where I talk a lot about this, you know, during times where self-doubt, for example, you can say, I don't know anything. I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. Like, who am I to think that I could do this? But when you start to change those things into more empowering questions, if I did know how to do this, what might be my next smallest step? What inspired action can I take? Even though I don't know how to do a lot, what can I do? Or, you know, and that's the idea of that focus, what you can do versus what you can't, what you do have versus what you don't. That's a real like apartment of what I would call, you know, one singular practice that I have. But I think a lot of it comes at the level of that thought. And this is where writing and journaling is super helpful. Because like the example I gave earlier of loneliness, like when I lost my partner, I would be lonely sometimes when I was surrounded by people and I'd be all by myself and I wouldn't be lonely at all. So it's clearly not the external circumstances that was around me. So what I would do is I would write down in my journal, interesting, why, you know, why did you feel loneliness when you were with other people? What were you thinking about? What was going on in your head? Blah, 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 blah. So that idea of self-inquiry and just unraveling these interesting things that are kind of natural responses in our brain, that's where I really think we start to own some tools that we can leverage in the future to help, you know, the next time a similar situation or pattern comes up. Well, Chelsea, thank you for sharing. In addition to Live Your Legend, do you have any resources or books or blogs that you might recommend where people can learn about these things where you learned? Yeah. So, I mean, I've obviously mentioned Tony Robbins. I've studied a lot of Tony Robbins' work. I mean, I've studied from a lot of people, Byron Katie, um, Brooke Castillo, Joe Dispenza, to get really deep into the neuro stuff and the quantum stuff. I love Jess Lively's podcast. She talks a little bit more on the law of attraction side of things. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sponge of learning when it comes to the understanding of, you know, science and spirituality and human behavior and all of that. But yeah, I I think all of those have been huge mentors to me um, along the way. And I've just eaten up all of all of those people's stuff that they've ever put out there. And I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting right now. But um, yeah, those are definitely some, some places to, to send you guys. <laughs> no, that's great. And what we can, again, we can link some of these resources up on under30experiences.com as well as uh, you mentioned Joe Dispenza and I recently recorded a podcast not with Joe but uh, a good friend of mine Daniel DiPiazza who had just come back from Joe Dispenza's workshop and uh, I've dove into a lot of his work as well and it's some really interesting stuff it's uh, and, and definitely I would, I would call it an advanced level that you don't need to yeah. know <laughs> you don't need to know anything to go uh, read his books of course but it's it's some deep stuff so that's great thank you for sharing Chelsea cool my pleasure (laughs) yeah Uh, okay so if people want to connect with you of course they've heard live your legend but uh, if you could please give them the url anything that you're uh, have plans maybe coming up and uh, also just how they can get involved with your community and maybe reach out to you on social media yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, Live Your Legend is, um, it's a little bit more on the career focused and I'm starting a brand new branch 2019 that's going to be really about aligning your life. Um, and that's going to be called the Align Life School alongside some other things around the art of living and whatnot. So those are in the very beginning stages, but plan to have those out in the next few months. So obviously links to that will be a part of Live Your Legend. 
If you want to follow the more um, work side of things, you can follow Live Your Legend on Instagram. And then my personal travels. I know all you guys are like like traveling. Those are on just Chelsea Jensmore. So yeah, you can connect me on any of those channels. Excellent. Sounds good, Chelsea. Well, thank you very much for being on today. Cool. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine.